and welcome to another episode of Wealth Planning Eliminated. I'm your host, Teresa Marks, a Senior Wealth Strategist at CIBC Private Wealth in the U.S. I am joined today by my colleague, Carrie Panko, also a Senior Wealth Strategist at CIBC Private Wealth. In today's episode, Carrie and I will discuss the differences between community property and separate property, and how the classification of a couple's ownership of property by their state of residence may dictate how that property could be distributed at divorce or death. We will also discuss how moving between states may impact property ownership. This is part two in our two-part series focused on residency considerations. All right, let's get started. So we often think that property ownership should be pretty easy. You own it, you don't, depending on you know what the deed might say or what your investment account might say. But sometimes property ownership gets a little more complicated when we're talking about married people. Um, in particular, we hear phrases like community property, separate property, marital property. So I'm hoping you can help us kind of take away some of the mystery behind that, in particular when a couple is married and they start to acquire assets. So let's start with what is community property and what does that mean for a married couple? Sure. So community property is a type of joint ownership between married couples. There are nine community property states in the U.S., including California, Texas, Washington, Idaho, Arizona, New Mexico, Louisiana, and Wisconsin. And what this means in, is in those community property states, assets are owned equally when they are acquired as community property. And generally speaking, assets acquired during marriage are treated as community property as opposed to assets that are brought into the marriage or assets that are received through gift or inheritance are uh, usually treated as each spouse's separate property. Okay, so when a couple holds property as community property, what, what does that mean for them? For example, you know, I'm sure like during the life of the marriage, they might not even notice that something's community or separate depending on how they manage their assets. But when it comes to divorce, what's the implication for a couple holding community property? Holding community property just dictates how you can dispose of your assets. So when assets are held equally between each spouse on divorce, the community property assets will follow each spouse. So each spouse will take walk away from the marriage with their one half community property interest, and they will also retain their entire interest to their separate property. So how how the asset is characterized will dictate how it follows the spouse at the end of the marriage. And does titling matter for that? So, for example, if one spouse holds title to the home and another spouse owns title to an investment account, is, is that still 50-50? I mean, is it just kind of everything is community property regardless of the titling? So generally speaking, the rules of the community property state will, will dictate that if it was acquired during a marriage, it's treated as 50-50. So even if a bank account is held in one spouse's name, if that account was all assets earned during marriage, the state will likely treat it as a community property asset. Spouses can enter into marital agreements and change the characterization of how assets are held and transmute them, which means they can change them from separate property to community property and vice versa. So titling doesn't always dictate how an asset is held more so than the timing of when it was acquired and whether it will be treated as a community property or separate property asset. Okay, that makes sense. So the couple does still have some control over how the assets might be ultimately split if they if they decide by agreement to treat it differently than the state's general rules would, would treat it. That's exactly right. Yeah. 
Okay. So then what about at death? So if, you know, if two people are married, one of them is, you know, dies, what happens to the community property then? Does it, how does it kind of pass on to the beneficiaries? Sure. So similarly, the deceased spouse's half of community property interest will be disposed according to that deceased spouse's wish, as well as the deceased spouse's entire separate property interest. And the surviving spouse will retain their interest in their one half community property, as well as their entire interest in their separate property. So each spouse can dispose of their half of the community property interest as they determine. So again, titling doesn't really matter there, right? So that if, if my will says dispose of my property, you know, to XYZ organization, it would only be my 50% of the, the community property that would go to that organization, regardless of what was in my name or what was in my spouse's name. That's right. Yes. And again, unless it's agreed to otherwise, that's how the property would flow. Okay. You know, and one thing that's, you know, often comes up with community properties, we hear that there's an advantage at somebody's death when it comes to income taxes. Can you explain that a little bit for us? Sure. So when a spouse passes away, their interest in the asset gets a step up in basis, which is an income tax benefit because if it's sold immediately, there won't be a gain. Um, with a community property asset, instead of just the deceased spouse, one half interest in the community property getting the step up, the entire community property asset, 100% of it, gets the step up in basis, even though only one spouse has passed away. So it is a benefit to a community property asset that on one spouse's death, 100% of the asset is stepped up in basis. So we can eliminate all of that appreciation rather than an, like a, with separate property, you'd only get your interest that would be that would be stepped up. Yes. Perfect. Okay, so moving on from community property, you know, so what is separate property or sometimes, you know, in a non-community property state, we might call that marital property um, or kind of marital, non-marital property. So when we talk about separate property, what do we mean or separate property state, I guess, you know, what does that mean? So in a separate property state, um, titling is what is going to control the ownership. So um, if a spouse earns income during the marriage in their individual name, it will follow that spouse according to titling and be treated as their separate property unless the spouse decides to change the character of that and hold it jointly with their other spouse. So they can hold it as joint tenants and then it will be titled as a joint asset. But if that's not done, um, titling controls and usually it's the spouse that acquires the asset. It will be held as their separate property. Okay, so then again, kind of thinking about divorce in, in a separate property state, how does, how does that separate property characterization, how does that play out in a divorce? So a divorce in a separate property state follows the equitable distribution rules, and all of the assets are looked at in a divorce, separate property as well as marital property, and the totality of the circumstances is taken into account. So unlike a community property state where it's half your community property and all of your separate property, in a separate property state, you may end up turning over some of your separate property to your spouse because all of the assets are factored in on a divorce. Okay, so we're kind of looking at, again, kind of more on an equitable division rather than that 50-50 division that almost, that's typically the case in a community property state. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, I do think it's what's interesting, you know, kind of thinking about a community property state and separate property states. I think what's interesting is, you know, both of them really kind of carve out the idea of like an inheritance. So, you know, kind of inheritance is kind of off to the side as, as we talk about these things. Um, and I, just, I just think that's important to note because that's what a question I think we often get is that even in an equitable division situation, if somebody is inherited and kind of kept that separate, it would stay separate for that equitable division, correct? Yeah, that's right. As long as you keep your your gifted and inherited property separate, it will stay separate. I think another thing to keep in mind is that as soon as you commingle, you treat it like it's yours and your spouse's, it will no longer keep that separate property characterization. But yes, if one spouse keeps it entirely separate, it stays that way. Okay, so then what about at death? So, you know, we talked about community property, we're going 50-50, no matter how it's titled. What happens at death and, you know, with a deceased person's will or revocable trust? How does that work? So in a separate property state, the deceased spouse can dispose of assets titled in their name. So that is also a, a difference where it's not a 50-50 split per se. They can dispose of assets, um, jointly held assets. So joint tenancy, tenancy in the entirety, that will pass to the other spouse by operation of law. But otherwise, the deceased spouse gets to control how their assets are passed. That being said, um, a deceased spouse cannot disinherit the surviving spouse. So a lot of these separate property states will have a percentage or a fraction of what the surviving spouse is entitled to from the deceased spouse's assets. And as long as that is fulfilled, the balance of the assets can go as the deceased spouse determines. Okay, so when somebody dies in, in a separate property state, their will or their trust says, you know, all of my assets, using my example from before, go to XYZ Corp um, or organization. We look at how assets are, whether they're titled in my name or not, and that's what, how we know what passes pursuant to that trust rather than the classification of property as community or something else. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, you know, a lot of, you know, people, you know, especially, you know, in today's world, move between states, you know, whether it's, you know, sometimes moving out of California into maybe a lower tax jurisdiction or moving from Illinois to California because the weather's much better. Um, what do people need to think about when they're, when they're changing their residency and they're married and might, might be going from a state that is community property to separate property or vice versa, separate property to community. So let's start with, you know, what if we're moving from a community property state? What do we need to keep in mind? What are the rules of the road there? Sure. I think it's just important to remember the assets you held in the community property state and how they're titled. And as soon as that move takes effect, how future assets are acquired will then follow that state rule. So for example, you live in California, community property state, and all earned income is treated as 50-50 community property. But then you move to Illinois and suddenly it's a separate property state and your earned income is then your separate property. And it's just a matter of making sure you're properly characterizing it and treating it as such, or both spouses can make a decision to transmute the character and treat it as separate or community however they wish. So essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, so it sounds like it kind of wherever you're living at the time you earn that income or kind of acquire an asset, that state law controls and it would continue even if you move to a new state with respect to the property acquired in, in the first state. That's right. So where you earned it is is the rule that will control that particular characterization. Unless you agree otherwise, as you as you mentioned. Yes. 
So what do you recommend for people? You know, somebody that, you know, a lot of times, like I said, people move around a lot more than they may be used to. How do we track this? I mean, to me, it seems like, you know, there could be a lot of tracking, especially if you go, you know, separate property to community property, back to separate. You know, how do we track all of this? What's, what's kind of best practice, if you will? I think it's important, first off, to know the state that you're in, to know the rules that apply to the assets as you acquire them, and then make a decision on how you want to treat them. Do you want to follow state law? Do you want to enter into those marital agreements and carve it out? And if you do want to treat assets as separate property or as community property, putting them in in the appropriate account to reflect that. So if you want to create your separate property account and keep that separate from your community property account and so on, that will be an easier way to track your assets and trace them as time goes on. So that way, if there are several moves between states, you have the opportunity of knowing how you've previously titled things, treated things, and you can decide if you want to continue that moving forward or perhaps, you know, with each move, the couple decides that they do want to recharacterize the assets. Okay, so it sounds like it's a lot about, one, understanding the rules, which we just talked about between community property and separate property, and then really tracking it if you do move. And I guess even if you don't move, just trying to understand for both spouses, what's community, what's not, you know, what does a will and trust govern and what doesn't it. So it sounds like it's really all about the record keeping, the understanding, and then ultimately, if if you want it to be a different result, agreeing to that different result. Yes, that's exactly right. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Wealth Planning Illuminated. We hope you found this topic interesting and that you will continue to explore the variety of wealth planning topics available to you on this channel. Thank you and have a great day. CIBC Private Wealth Management includes CIBC National Trust Company, CIBC Delaware Trust Company, CIBC Private Wealth Advisors Incorporated, all of which are wholly owned subsidiaries of CIBC Private Wealth Group LLC and the private banking division of CIBC Bank USA. All of these entities are wholly owned subsidiaries of Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. This document is intended for informational purposes only, and the material presented should not be construed as an offer or recommendation to buy or sell any security. Concepts expressed are current as of the date of this publication only and may change without notice. Such concepts are the opinions of our investment professionals, many of whom are chartered financial analyst charter holders or certified financial planner professionals. Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards Incorporated owns the certification marks CFP and Certified Financial Planner in the U.S. There is no guarantee that these views will come to pass. Past performance does not guarantee future comparable results. The tax information contained herein is general and for informational purposes only. CIBC Private Wealth Management does not provide legal or tax advice, and the information contained herein should only be used in consultation with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors. To the extent that information contained herein is derived from third-party sources, although we believe the sources to be reliable, we cannot guarantee their accuracy. The CIBC logo is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Investment products are not FDIC insured, may lose value, and are not bank guaranteed.